Hello everyone, I'm Amrita and I run a travel experience company called Urban Sarai in Nashik. And welcome to the last episode of the first season of Women Who Speak Heritage podcast. In the summer of 2020, as the entire world was under lockdown, I brewed some tea, sat in front of my phone and spoke to some incredible women through Instagram live sessions. We discussed heritage recipes, ancient monuments, the magical portions of the past, Peshwa era fabrics, art deco architecture and much more. These chats ranged from some very personal stories to solid professional advice to a creative entrepreneur. In today's session, I am talking to Shubhra Chatterjee, a filmmaker, food heritage explorer who happens to be the writer-director of celebrated food shows like Chakle India and Lost Recipes. We talk about food and food history, obviously, and also about her journey from a small town in Nigeria to the entertainment capital of India, that is Mumbai. She spills the beans about her explorations of India's culinary heritage. So if you like food, history and TV shows, this conversation is for you for sure. So without further ado, here we go. Shubhra, I really wanted you to be on this session for many reasons. I will tell you quickly. I have been talking to a lot of researchers and academicians throughout this, this series. And I mm-hmm. wanted to talk to somebody whose job is to take all this research and information and present it in a very entertaining and fun way, which you do okay. for your show. I have a lot of questions and I'm sure I'm not going to uh, cover them all. We'll need more sessions. <laughs> Let's start. I have my coffee over here and yeah. I'm I have ready my to answer questions. <laughs> this is my activity time, 4 o'clock, and I wanted to call this series something to do with tea. I couldn't come up with a better name, so I just left it like that. But History on the Plate is a very good name. I love it. Yeah, and that name has actually been with me for a very long time because I um, honestly, I believe that what you eat is who you are in the sense that what is on your plate can explain your history. It's, it's, it is your heritage, you know. So if you're eating a machir bhat, a machir jhol and bhat, that is who you are. It explains where you're from. Rice grows there. Fish is easily available. The same way if you're in Punjab and you're eating a roti and a rajma and a dal. So it's what you eat essentially describes who you are. And so it's history on a plate right there. True. <laughs> Shura, let's go back to that you were not even here in India. You know, how your journey from uh, Nigeria shaped your experiences here and how you learned about India. Okay, so I grew up uh, in a small town called Oweri, O-W-E-R-R-I, in West Africa, in Nigeria. And uh, (laughs) I never, like, I was seven when I went there and most of my schooling happened over there. I was like third standard to 10th standard is, was, was there. And I studied in a local school. I learned the local language. That's what I studied. I never studied Hindi. I studied West African history and geography and culture. Uh, I, I had a, I, you know, I studied the Bible because we had Christian religious knowledge as a subject. So when I came back to India after my 10th, I came here, I came to Bhopal to do my 10th and uh, my 11th and 12th. I knew very little about India because I had not studied it. So I knew, you know, I knew the stuff which one would know from Bollywood movies or from everything our parents used to tell us. But but you miss a lot of things. Like I remember this one time I was at the railway station and there was this train which came in and it said Mangala Lakshwadeep Express. 
and I asked my hmm. mom, "Oh, so is the train going to Lakshadweep?" Because I didn't even know that Lakshadweep was an island off the coast of India back then. I mean, I'd never studied Indian geography; I knew very little. Do you want to also talk about your time in Nigeria? What all local food you ate? Yeah. Okay. So I was I was seven when you went there, and uh, when you're a child, I think you just naturally are very experimentative because you make friends and you eat what your friends are eating. This pounded yam or cassava, which used to call gari, used to be eaten with soup, uh, yeah. with, with some sort of a soup which always had a meat element and a little bit of dried fish, and it was it was very interesting food, very different flavor profile. If I had to equate it to any part of India, I would say that the ingredients were very much like what you would get in Kerala, uh, okay. but the the way of cooking was a little more like the northeast because there was fermentation involved. uh there was steaming and there was smoking involved so it was a mix if you have say the ingredients of kerala and the cooking techniques of the northeast it was a little bit like that and we used to stay in a really small town so like literally the interiors my parents are doctors they used to work in the interiors so it was it was a very bush life you know it was, hmm. it was practically like living in the in the jungles surrounded by lots of plants and lots of animals and it was beautifully fertile wow. and i am in school like the best thing i uh, was that all of us had our little patches of land where we had to grow our own food so one of okay. the subjects in school was agricultural okay. science and we were all taught to grow our own food so we would you know okay. learn about um, dicotyledons and monocotyledons by planting maize and beans which is i think something amazing and i wish they would do that over here in um, india also but i haven't hmm. seen any school do that here so far lovely childhood in nigeria i came back to india i came to school here and i was a very good student um but the thing is i i wasn't used to studying according to the indian system i couldn't cram stuff so here i actually flunked my first mathematics paper and that completely put me off mathematics for the longest time uh, in my childhood i wanted to be an architect but then then this incident with maths happened and i was like there's no doing i'm not studying maths i studied biology and then i went on to study uh, economics and i was in pune like college happened in pune i was studying economics over there and uh, i happened to be very right next to the film institute i used to be at symbiosis so i was right next to the film institute ended up making friends with the people at the film institute and that's how i got interested in the movies so there was a time mm. when i was practically living at ftii i i had a membership of the the mess the ftii boys hostel mess uh, mm. because the boys hostel mess was better than the girls hostel mess and i would practically okay. like the guards thought i was a student so they would let me in without asking to see a pass or anything and i have very close friends um from there but i never studied at fdi i attended all their screenings all their workshops but i was never uh, hmm. legally a student of the film institute i was always yeah. studying at uh, symbiosis and i studied mass communication i also studied in pune and in the same area i was i lived there for more than 10 years and i i know so many people who you know were not studying at fdi but ended up going there and practically living there and i think fdi has yeah. inspired a lot of apart from its own students 
so even the first so after i finished my college i started working uh, with this uh, director called sudhir mishra you would have heard of him and the thing with uh, sudhir sir was that even he was one of those pseudo fti people so we really connected on that his brother used to study there his brother sudhanshu uh, who died very early used to study at fti and uh, uh, sudhir sir would actually go and live with him and he was again one of those pseudo fti people so that was one thing we used to connect on a lot so after coming to bombay uh, i i worked in the movies for a bit i worked on a couple of films and uh, one of the directors that i worked with was a gentleman called samar khan who at that hmm. time was uh, heading red chilies which is shahrukh khan's company and uh, he asked me if i wanted to work with him on this uh, documentary on shahrukh khan called living living with a superstar so it basically okay. meant following shahrukh khan for like a uh, 6 months with a camera and shooting him mm-hmm. and i love shahrukh khan so i obviously said yes yeah. that was my first foray into television that aired on uh, tlc and discovery so that was the first mm-hmm. time i did anything to do with tv with this shahrukh khan documentary and uh, uh, so tv happened to me and very soon after that i was offered my first uh, television show to direct and it happened mm-hmm. to be uh, a food travel show which is which is like a dream like for a young kid i was 25 young kid you get to travel the country and eat like nobody is going to say no to that so i say i just got lucky and hmm. that show um, is chakle india uh okay. chakle india used to air th- we we shot it in 2011 and 12 and uh, those episodes are still on air i have no idea how they're still playing episodes which are that old so i've had people call me up and say okay listen did you make that show is that you someone else you some other shubhra so i'm like yeah that's me and it's very nice when people do that they just see your name and they call you and they're like are you made this and i'm like yes yes i made this so yeah so that is um, that's how food actually happened to me with chakle india because for a year and a half Uh, 2011 and 12 i was basically traveling around india in a tempo traveler with 9 10 men uh, i was the only woman on the crew and shooting food around the country in like the smallest remotest places with tribal communities with you know grandmothers in villages and that essentially was my education in food and i think it was the most amazing amazing education also what happened was because i had never studied indian history indian geography anything in school essentially i discovered india through the food of india that's a very interesting uh, way to discover right yeah so uh, chakle india i mean it just completely changed my life it is the most magical thing to have happened to me it was my education in food it was my education in indian history the beginnings of my education in indian history geography of course culture everything so i mean it was it was everything that i hadn't learned in school i got to learn and more and in what a fine way because i got to eat my way through the country so that is when love of food started and the thing is uh, after shooting we did what 63 episodes around the country now after you work that much with food somewhere you begin to question where the food comes from and why we eat like we eat so um i begin to look beyond the food and um look for stories around food look for the history of the food that we're eating 
and um, somewhere in 2013 this um, uh, new channel came up called epic channel and it mm-hmm. went on air in 2014 but we were producing things for it uh, in 2013 i did a show for it for epic called uh, ekant which was all about uh, mm-hmm. lost places it was about forts monuments which had been abandoned because everyone knows the taj mahal everyone knows the lal qila mm-hmm. but nobody knows you know a place like chiktun fort in ladakh for example hmm. you wouldn't have heard of it but there was no. a fort with a lot of history attached to it so we went after these places that people didn't know much about um, and when i was doing that i became very interested in lost histories you know and hmm. hence the idea of lost recipes came to me back in 2013 and i pitched it to epic channel and they they loved the idea so then i got to make my favorite show lost recipes for epic channel so that mm. is how uh, my journey in food history began because when i started making lost recipes i had to study that much more research that much more to understand um, you know how we used to eat so far i'd just been working with what we eat now and why we eat why we eat the yeah. way we eat but then you know to go back in time and to understand how we used to eat and that is that is i mean you know the only word for it is like nasha because once you start exploring that there is no end to it it just draws you in and you become a little obsessed with it so hence uh, i don't think i've ever moved away from my love for food history because i feel there is so much the more i know the more i feel uh that there is so much more yet to know like you know i realize how little i know um every time i read something new or something i don't know i just feel like oh my god there is so much more to explore because it's a vast country i mean one person cannot possibly know everything about every part of the country it's a, it's a it's it's just fantastically diverse and beautiful and very compelling so mm. yeah <laughs> Let us talk a little about the lost recipes that you mentioned. Where does your research and all the information come from? Okay, so so we have uh, heritage which is tangible and heritage which is intangible. Tangible heritage is your art and architecture which you can see, which um, you can actually uh, uh, feel, touch, see, write about. people have written about these things they have they've spoken about them and then there is your intangible heritage which is your culture right i mean which is which is stuff like um, music which is stuff like performing arts which is stuff like food also it's not tangible you can't hold it and mm-hmm. i've been lucky that i've got to document both of these because it has diverse ways of documentation so for example mm-hmm. where you know when when we would go looking at forts there would always be some recorded history you can tell from the material it has been made from from the architectural styles that have been used you can you can pinpoint to certain influences you can pinpoint to what must have happened at that time the you know the the way like the draw bridges the windows everything is a clue right mm-hmm. but at the same time with with food with intangible um, culture there's very little which you have to work with so the first mm. first source that we we tap we try to tap of course is everything that is there in written history but we try to tap a lot into what the people who make those recipes have to say about it what their story is and we always bring that in as a huge part of the documentation 
So for example, if I'm looking at lost recipes in Bengal, uh, I will always try to understand the history of Bengal. So what happened? What was Bengal earlier? What was medieval? What was there in medieval Bengal? Who was ruling? When, you know, uh, did the British come in? What happened around the Battle of Alasi? What happened after they got here? Why were there famines? So all of things and, and stuff, things like famines also really influence the food. You know, all the foraging which happens, why does it happen? There was a certain time, you know, like you can tell from communities, communities, like, like if you see the Punjabi community, the Sindhi community, their food has a lot there, which is um, about putting things together because they were displaced. You know, True. the refugees that came to India, they were displaced. They didn't have too much to work with. So they worked with very little. Sindhi food uses, like, like a Sindhi curry is puts just about any vegetable that is available into the curry because they didn't have hmm. a choice. They just had to use what was there at home to create nourishing, wholesome meals. So what a community has been through gives us very uh, big clues to the food of that community. So for example, hmm. if I hear of a lost recipe, I then go back and understand why, where, how. So, for example, if we if we're doing something in Kashmir, you we we know that in Kashmir you have long winters, harsh winters. So you have a lot of people preserving food a certain way, you know. So if you, if you have the dried vegetables in Kashmir, it is it is simply because they would not have vegetables in the winters, and they would dry them over the summer and then cook them in the winter. Okay. And now, when there are vegetables available all winter through fresh vegetables available this the dried vegetables are slowly dying out mm. you know so it's easy to understand and make out why a recipe uh, used to be and is not anymore if you if you study the history of the people your history i mean you can you can yeah. ask your grandmothers and mothers and they would most likely be able to tell you what happened maybe in not very historical specific terms but they give you an idea and then you go back and read and then you can understand a lot more about you know what they're saying so yeah that is it cementing your grandmother's cooking should be the first step for anyone male yeah. female and it's a fun process you know you just have to start one day just sit and write down a recipe and if you have questions ask your mom she'll be able to answer most of them like why true, was this true. made and when was this made so all of those things i mean we have never the in india we have never had the tradition of um recording our history till like very late like the common man or the common woman we we would never record our history history the the chronicle the chroniclers of history were the, the kings and their you know it used to be chronicled in their courts and very there was very little chronicling of history otherwise right uh till say about you know the late 1800s when we started to have, we had access to Western education, um, the first um, schools, the first colleges. And that is, that over there you see this whole burst of the native Indian recording their own history. So for example, in Bengal, which is one of the first places that we had access to education, to Western education, and women had access to Western education, you would see in the late 1800s that a lot of periodicals um, you know uh, were brought out and these had recipes because when women started to read and write what would they chronic yeah. what would they write yeah. about they would write about things which concerned them and food was a primary um, 
uh, was of primary importance to women so they started writing down their recipes then so you had these uh, masik patrikas which is like monthly uh, periodicals meant for women in which you have you know recipes documented so then those are the very first incidences of the common man's recipes being documented do you remember a place where you really want to go uh, to document their, uh, their recipes but you haven't been able to okay so one of the places so see the thing is a lot of places have um, every place has recipes every place has recipes you can document so i've never been to a place where i haven't been able to document recipes because everyone has their own recipes but it's very difficult to find lost recipes amongst the tribal communities because they are still holding on to their earlier way of eating and living so very little is lost so if you there are very few things which are lost you know quote unquote in tribal in most tribal communities actually i find it the most difficult to document lost tribal recipes because there are very few lost tribal recipes it may okay. seem wow and exotic to us but for them it is still what they eat you know every day they still eat as per the season they still have um the most beautiful ways of preserving food like like in in bastar i've shot in bastar in a place called kanker actually which is um at the border of bastar um and you have the tribal communities over there they they smoke fish you know and that is something you don't really see in inland communities across india you see a little bit of it in the northeast you see some smoking in the hills but in the plains there's i i haven't come across smoking any smoking of meats so you they still preserve these old methods they still have these old methods of preservation because over there they still don't have fridges in their villages they still there's mm. there's still villages where you do not have electricity and you don't have fridges so they are still cooking in the old way so not too many lost recipes but if you want to know how we must have cooked back in the day it's a great place to go and study um, techniques and ingredients and methods you know all this sounds very very exotic and very interesting but all these travels were really uh, easy or you had some weird experiences also so uh, i always say i've been very lucky because it's not easy for a woman to travel the country and you know not come to harm but uh, i've had a i've had the same crew for the last 10 years i i travel with my my core crew is um, there's there's anthony who's my exec- executive producer there's ishmael who handles the camera for me then there's ram on the second camera and shanu shahnawaz who does sound so this is my core crew and i refuse to go anywhere without them they're like my bodyguards they're like they're my brothers you know so it's it's uh, like they were at my wedding and you know when brothers walk you to the mandap yeah. they were there doing that so i consider them my brothers and they have taken very fantastic care of me down the years um and it's like family so i never feel i've never felt scared you know uh, i've i've shot in bihar i've shot in eastern up and those are supposed to be a bastar i just told you in all parts of the country and of course it's not it's not wise for a woman for a woman to travel alone to these places uh, but i've always had uh, my boys with me so i've been lucky in that sense of course in places like eastern up and stuff i mean i remember i was shooting in gazipur and we were shooting in a small gully uh, which had like a tiny kebab shop and there was almost like this 100 men pushing at us from the back so my anchor was was obviously on on camera i was 
standing right behind the cameraman and behind me my crew there were about four or five of them were all standing there between me and like almost a thousand men who were pushing because they were curious to see what was happening what i find interesting when i travel around the country is is the conversations i have with women you know it's um, like i i go to rajasthan um, and a lot of a lot, okay so one thing that happens in rajasthan is when you when you approach someone to shoot with them you always speak to the men okay because the women are in ghungat and you know they they uh, they don't have much of a say and they, then these women they see me shooting they see me being the the boss of a group of men right because like i have a bunch of boys and i'm like the boss so they they yeah. i i i feel and they come up to me and they ask me like aapki shaadi hui hai kya umar hai bacche hain aapke pati aapko ye sab karne dete hain and i then feel very responsible to you know i feel a responsibility on my shoulders at that time but i must tell them that it is possible for women to be this way and that they should also you know try within what they can to get their daughters educated and send them out into the world so it's i i do feel this responsibility at times i don't know if i always do the right thing or spend like i i want to spend more time and go back but you can never do that in the middle of a shoot i just feel that having you know so i make the women sit with me while i'm working so they can look into my monitors and watch the shoot with me and we discuss little women things like you know they would touch my hair and they would want to know what shampoo i use what cream <laughs> i use so i i just i this this is a part of this entire process which i find really draws me and maybe at some point in life i'll be able to do a little more than i do right now hmm. you know to empower the women i remember i used to smoke so uh, i the women would see me smoking i'd be in a small village where every woman has like a ghungat and i'd find a corner and smoke and i'd make sure i smoke in a place where people you know i mean are not offended but if you want you can come and ask me about it so the women would ask me about it and then initially they may be a little like taken aback but after a while they would be very cool and chill with it like nobody had a problem you know they would say yaar hamari and they would then they would open up a little bit they would talk about their problems they would talk about how one old lady you know smokes the hookah so it's it's all you know so there was a, i was there was a lot of bonding which happened with women in all these little villages and yeah i mean i learned a lot about and i feel very grateful for the freedom i have yeah and this is actually the first time i'm speaking about it i've never spoken about it before but this is something i experience on every uh, shoot i mean this is my theory just you just tell me what you think about it that women when they work in a male dominated field they are supposed to hide all these emotions that they have they are supposed to show something else on their face and you know it happens not very intentionally but it happens you know because otherwise you have to you know maintain a posture i've actually never really uh, consciously um, vocalized this I, i mean i've never really spoken to anyone about shoot experiences as such you know because my storytelling is always in front of the camera and very little of it is what i you know uh, uh, feel or see behind the camera like focus mm-hmm. is on what you see on screen and what we show on screen is the best of what we find so we are in a sense fabulous we we show you the best of what there is and not always um everything there is you know 
So Shubha, you're making films already. You are. You have a very, uh, I would say, very, very attractive and very pleasant social media presence. Also, I love your Instagram feed. Thank you. But I'm going back to uh, old ways. You're writing a book. So how did right. that happen? And uh, what do you really prefer uh, as a medium? You know, as a storyteller. writing a book in my opinion is the most difficult thing i have done uh, i am doing because i'm still struggling with it the thing is uh, so many years of doing um, film of filming of shooting documentaries of shooting you know stuff for the web and television it's the same thing really you're telling a story you know the basic mm. is storytelling whether you do it in a film or you do it on tv or you do a documentary or you do a book it is storytelling but the way you do it is different uh and for me television comes very very easy uh now because i've done it for so long right uh and and writing is something i have always enjoyed and liked like i write all my television shows everything i direct has been written uh by me most of it sometimes um, you know like initially i my hindi used to be really bad atrocious so when we were doing hindi shows i would write a basic flow and then a thought and then get someone to write um, you know the the hindi words but now i've also started writing in hindi and i'm very proud of that so so um th- but that's that writing is very different you know that mm-hmm. writing is mostly um beautiful visual poetic it is also skimming the surface it's not going very deep uh into the details of things you know um whereas when it comes to writing a book you you really have to make sure that what you're putting down on paper is a accurate b uh, brings across the emotions that you want to express perfectly it's far easier to express emotions on screen you know than hmm. in writing and that it it tells the story of what you want to tell perfectly so it's it's a it's a process and it's a process that's taking me a while to get used to because also uh, when you're doing television you're doing bits and pieces right one ep- one episode is about a particular stuff subject and it's over right but when hmm. you're writing a book there are chapters to it it's a continuous narrative it's it's long form like long form in this in its longest form so there has to be a thread all through so the different i mean storytelling is 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 similar but they're very different mediums and i'm i'm uh, finding my way around uh, writing a book see instagram hmm. again is is similar to what i do on tv because i'm writing just little bits at a time right but with a book you have to sustain that for True. like 200 pages so <laughs> i think fine instagram is tough because you have to convey the same emotion in uh two paragraphs most you know people right. won't read it beyond that yeah recently i i met somebody not met virtually only not in person and uh, i told i told him something and he said oh really i said yeah i wrote it in my caption of the photo so he said no no there are two types of people on instagram one who read uh, the caption and one who right. only see the photo so i am from the second category i never read your captions or nothing so i said okay yes. i'll keep it in mind yeah so my photo should also speak you know my caption so correct yeah, that is Learn yeah things. my my captions on instagram i think are too long my husband says that the limit was made for me because if there was no limit i would keep writing yeah so, <laughs> should i tell you how i uh, go through your profile i have done that many times even before approaching you i have done it so it's not like just for this interview i right. first i see the pictures and then you know later on whenever i have time i just i i go through the captions so 
I think there are people who are reading your caption. So please do write them as long as. <laughs> Thank you. That that's that's very reassuring. <laughs> I should be the like those very few people who will also get the signed copy of your book. So just keep that of in course. mind. <laughs> of course, once I as soon as I finish writing it, you know, I'm having these conversations with my editor Paulomi almost like every week, where I'm supposed to send her updates on you know how much I've done or send her stuff to read. And I'm just and this lockdown has actually been. I thought I would get a lot of work done in this lockdown, a lot of writing done because there's less work. Otherwise, I'm not going out to shoot. But it's actually been the most difficult time to write, and I think a lot of us are facing that. Writing isn't coming easy. and in fact i think this history on a plate it it actually happened because i was missing um i was missing shooting you know i was mm. missing going to people's homes and cooking with them so i just decided to diversify in the best way i could so is there a season 2 of history on a plate well right now uh, we are on season 1 it's going to continue till the lockdown let's see if we what happens post uh, lockdown i'm getting a lot of encouragement which is which is making me want to keep on going till our um, isolation till our lockdown is over so let's see um, if we can do that i think we should be able to <laughs> okay so i have some questions quick questions but before sure. that i want to ask you uh, a last final long question okay so just because we are talking about food and you have an amazing uh, family so i just want to know what you your kitchen looks like you said your mother is half punjabi married to a bengali you lived in nigeria then you came here now you're married to a tamilian and you split your time between dehradun and bombay so yes. how does your kitchen look like and what do you cook so um i have two kitchens one is my kitchen in bombay where i mostly stay by myself uh, and that kitchen is run entirely by kalavati who's been with me for the last ever since i moved to bombay uh, i moved to bombay in 2006 so it's been what 14 years so she runs my kitchen she calls me every evening and says ki kya lana hai kal kya khana hai i we discuss what sabzi is available she brings the sabzi and over the years i've i've sort of you know mom has come down i've come down she's also she is from north karnataka so sometimes she cooks me stuff from north karnataka you know like there's this um thing she she makes this um interesting kind of a, a wet poha which is very but she says is from gulbarg it's a mix of poha and muri which is um, cooked with vegetables so it is hmm. something that you know she has grown up eating so she makes it for me okay so let me let me just i'll have to go back on my background a little bit to explain this my mother is punjabi my father is bengali my father's family moved to madhya pradesh Oh, 160 years ago. So we we are pro Bashi Bengali. We we don't stay in Bengal. My mom's family moved to India in 1947 during the partition, and since then they've stayed in different parts of the country. Both my grandfathers were in the in government service. One was in the customs. One was in the railways. So there's a lot of um, you know club culture which sort of happened. to us hmm. so you know the the railway mutton curry the bread puddings all of that is also part of um, the kebabs it's it's all like a mix of things which come in i was born in gujarat my parents were there my father speaks gujarati fluently because he was there for 20 years so we also have gujarati food at home i live in maharashtra now so it's it's actually an all india mix you know there's this just uh, and i can tell you we had butter chicken for lunch today uh, last hmm. night we had khichdi and pichla which is like 
the Maharashtrian pitla. Yesterday for lunch, we had uh, chole with a lauer ghonto, which is very Bengali. So the chole is Punjabi and the lauer ghonto is Bengali. So it's it's these mixed meals. It's it's from whichever part of the country inspires you. Uh, of course, when my husband cooks, his cooking is mostly um, uh, Tamilian. He makes sambar, he makes rasam, he makes idlis and dosas. And he actually is does cook a lot more than I do. So we we have a mixed kitchen. We have a mixed pantry from different parts of the country. I am the more experimentative one, whereas Anand cooks the everyday food when we are together. So he'll be making breakfast and uh, lunch, and I would finish my day's work and make something interesting for dinner. That is usually how it works with us. Pooja asked, uh, "Do you uh, do you cook any of the lost recipes that you found?" Well, uh, you know, there is a lost recipe which is very simple. It is something uh, I, you know, the Rabari community makes in Kutch. They make something called Satanaj Khichdi, which basically means that you take um, different types of dals. So you have like a moong, a masoor. Uh, then you mix in a little bit of dalia. You put in very few chawal into it. You have a little bit of jowar. You know, whatever millets, mixed millets you have at home, you add that in. and you make it like a like a khichdi uh, you cook it a little you, you cook it a little partly in water and partly in chhas with a little okay. salt so that is a very simple recipe it's a simple recipe which nobody makes and it's very nourishing and the rabari they basically uh, it's a nomadic community right um, so they travel around and they mostly when they're traveling they they have very little fresh food available to them because they live they travel from rajasthan to kutch around gujarat and back so mostly they have uh, they're carrying grains plus they have camels so they with the camel milk they make dahi and chhas so this is something that is that is something they can make with whatever assorted grains they have if they ever have some sabzi they will put it into it you know a little bit of aloo or whatever but just the anaj ki khichdi cooked in a little chhas with salt no other spicing is uh, is fantastic and it is not made as frequently now because even the rabari community has reduced in numbers and they also have when they're traveling sabzi to ab sab jagah milti hai so they have also started making different uh, things so this is a recipe which i make very often at home Uh, especially to use up the different kind of cereals and grains you have you know which keep lying in the dabbas and they never get used so i do this mm. to use those up and it's very tasty and i feel like i'm eating something healthy also so <laughs> we have kind of come to an end of the session but i have some very quick questions okay don't think too much just quick answers okay are you ready yeah i am <laughs> your favorite comfort food My favorite comfort food would have to be okay. So we in Bengal we made make something called uh, alu sheddo dim sheddo bhate bhat. It's a very long name, but it's basically boiled eggs, boiled potatoes with steamed rice, uh, mm. had with a little bit of mustard oil, a uh, green chili, and namak. You just have to mash it all together and eat it. It's like all carb, and it's delicious. <laughs> okay, I'll try this. If you have your own Netflix food show, what will be the name of it? most probably history on the plate <laughs> i like the name yeah stick to it <laughs> maybe yeah. you should get a copyright of that yeah no speak. i'll have to figure out how to do that <laughs> uh one tamil and one bengali recipe everyone must try 
Uh, okay, so I love uh, garlic, and my mother-in-law makes this most amazing garlic rasam. It's not very difficult to make, oh. and that is oh yeah, it's the best thing to have on a cold winter day. So that is something I would definitely recommend. She makes a whole lot of rasams. Okay, there's a nimbu rasam, and there's like a tomato rasam, but I love the garlic rasam. So that is mm. one Tamil recipe. One Bengali recipe. Uh, I would say that everyone should have. would most probably be like a aloo posto it's very simple it's very basic but it's just delicious okay choose one of these two okay chili or pepper hmm very difficult to choose should i go with the portuguese or should i stay with the indians you know i think pepper because i use i love pepper i love just um, you know what pepper is uh, important for somebody who is a tamilian who is married to a tamilian i think I think you understand yes. what I mean. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Yes. Mumbai or Dehradun? I uh, okay. So not so much Dehradun. Maybe if you say further up in the mountains, I would have said yeah, mountains. But I uh, as of now Bombay because I'm I I love Bombay. I love uh, I love the buzz of the big city. I love the sea. So um, it's a very difficult question, but I think I'd pick Bombay. Yeah. Uh, writing or directing. Uh, directing is far easier. Writing is very fulfilling, but uh, directing. Okay, food writing or filmmaking? I think you've answered this, but <laughs> but I would say food writing. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Uh, what will you tolerate? A world where you can't travel, or a world where you can't write? I think I'd be able to tolerate a world where I can't write. but not a world where i can't travel because and and this lockdown has made that very clear i can write all i want right now but i can't travel and i don't like that <laughs> okay what will you not tolerate uh people trolling you on instagram or people commenting on the food you cook uh people trolling me as in trolling me would be like saying mean things right on instagram yeah i think that would really put me off <laughs> okay Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what do you see I mean what future do you see for food shows where you have to travel a lot after the lockdown is over? We are we are wondering what's going to happen. It's going to take a while for studio shoots to begin because studio shoots involve a crew of 50 people but you do have smaller studio shoots happening. uh but but i think what what may um, be allowed is like you know if you have a small bunch of people traveling and shooting you will just have to be very careful so any shoot which has a crew of say 5 to 10 people i think will start first and the bigger shoots will start later because it's okay. easier for a small crew to function you know than a bigger crew with 50 people you don't know where everyone is has been to everyone's going back home so i think we'll have to do something where you have a small crew living in a particular place together and shooting mm. so yeah so that's what i think is going to happen in the immediate um, aftermath mm. of this uh, uh, isolation period and then slowly we once things become safer and once once we you know feel that uh, it's it's okay to shoot with larger crews we'll be back to doing that no. Yeah, there were some should questions. We should we respond to those questions? You'll have to read them out for me, though. I remember that Roshna, ma'am, uh, Vandering Dosan asked to um, whether a blindfolded food writer hmm. could tell the difference between biryanis in different parts of in parts from different parts of India. And you know, I'd like to say that 
thanks to Anthony, my EP, we have eaten all kinds of biryanis because <laughs> that that is that is the most preferred crew lunch. It comes in one dabba. You, you know, you're not there's no like dal, chawal, roti. So wherever you are at that time, whether you are in a car or you are under a tree, he just hands us our you know biryanis with a little raita. and we mm-hmm. uh, eat it so i have eaten biryanis with curry patta in them in the south all all kinds of biryanis it's just uh, amazing and actually you can tell the difference a, a, a biryani from lucknow has a different um, aroma there's a smell is different from the hyderabadi biryani the spicing is a little different um the bhopali biryani is, we call it biryan over here is is very basic and robust so I don't know if I'll be able to um, identify biryanis from all parts of the countries. Like, for example, I wouldn't know what a, what a bhatkali biryani is like, you know. But if it's a biryani from uh, Kasar Gold, it's I I I think I'll be able to tell. Okay, usme pepper zada hai. I can you know smell more, taste more pepper. Uh, so okay. some biryanis from different parts of the country, I definitely be able to tell you that this is from uh, you know Lucknow, Awadh, and this is from Hyderabad, and this is. from uh, uh, bengali the bengali biryani you know you have the aloo and it's it has yeah. a slightly swedish you know uh, uh, thing to it because of the caramelization of the the onions so like you can taste uh, biryanis and tell where they are from i mean if you're blindfolded yes not not all, every single biryani but mostly does biryani have a, a, a mention in your book Yeah, biryani is very controversial, so I had to mention it in my book. <laughs> Not mentioning it would be skirting a big yes. issue. Okay, that's it then. Thank you, Shubhra. Right. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming on the series. So I'll see you otherwise through your posts, and we'll meet sometime when the lockdown is over and we are yes, back to normal. Yes, Allah. Bye. Bye.